You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Well, on behalf of the people of First Christian, I want to thank you for spending your holidays with us. Holidays are these holy days as we move through the Advent season, working up to the coming of Christ for Christmas. And on this, the third Sunday of Advent, we, we light the pink candle, the candle of joy. It's, it's the one that everybody does. A lot of the names and words for all of the other candles change, but the pink one is one that's fixed. So it's good to focus in on joy today. Some of you know that I, I did some time in Texas. I did some time uh, teaching in Texas, actually, in the seminary. And so I pay attention to, you know, what, what goes on around there. And I heard another theology professor who was talking about joy and was using kind of the synonym game, asking his class, what's the opposite of joy? So this professor got all kinds of words, and you might think of some. Well, sorrow or depression or woe. And he keyed in on woe and he said, okay, well, well what's the opposite then of woe? And a Texan raised her hand and said, well, giddy up, of course. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, okay. That's, that's the proper response to something as punny as that. With, with joy. Yeah, we're going downhill in a hurry to joy. With joy. I mean, we're talking about exuberance. We're talking about that sense of exhilaration or bliss that we feel in many occasions of life. It could be that it's watching a sleeping baby, or fresh snow covering the mountains, or the smell of rain, or when we get to eat a good meal with good friends, enjoying beverages together, hot, cold, whatever works for us. There are moments where we experience tremendous joy. Sometimes it's music, where we hear a favorite song, or maybe even one that's brand new to our ears. Maybe it's the joy that comes from grandpa's laugh or getting to spend time enjoying what's left over from a paycheck. Not having to just pay all the bills, but having a little bit that's left over. Well, there are also those times in life when joy isn't the immediate next response. Our circumstances aren't as good and we're not as easily inclined toward joy, where we sometimes look around and think, is God really on my side? Or is God working against me? Is God giving me difficulty? And these passages that we've been looking at in this series, Jesus Arrives, have been looking for Jesus in the Old Testament prophets. All of them in times when the circumstances were not easily given towards joy, when the circumstances said everything but joy. And in this book of Isaiah that we're in today, there have been 10, 11 chapters of God talking about destruction, about rejection, about ignoring people. And it's not just any people. It's not just those that are opposed to God or enemies of God. The rejection and the ignoring and the eliminating is of God's own people, where they feel like God is not on their side. This isn't just to get the outsiders, but... God's own people. So with that little bit of background, we're going to jump into this uh, passage today that's in Isaiah chapter 12. And if you'd like to, if you're able to, stand either on your feet or in your hearts 
as we read this whole chapter, don't worry, it's only six verses, and it's a joy-filled song. Here we go, Isaiah chapter 12. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger you turned away and you comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust. I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among all of the nations. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be known in all the earth. Shout aloud and sing for joy, O royal Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. The word of the Lord from the prophet Isaiah. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, this song is an intense one. I mean, it, it comes after this HD caliber cinematic portrayal of destruction. I mean, almost like the sheer genocide of God's people. I'm serious about that. I mean, you could look in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 13, and the people of God are likened to a tree that's been cut down, a big towering terebinth tree. And all that's left is a tenth of the people, a stump. And then Isaiah says in that verse that even that stump gets burned. That dry stump, that burned up stump becomes something of a seed that springs forth a little shoot, a little twig of what God is going to do with just even a burned up tenth of his people. It doesn't sound real joyful, does it? Well, it is kind of a difficult circumstance that we walk into. And I'll paint the picture a little bit more by talking about a political story of their day. I think it's kind of nice to talk about some other country's politics for a while, right? From long ago, well, this one is kind of interesting. There are four kings. There is this powerful Tiglath-Pileser III. That's a mouthful. We'll just call him Tiggy P3. <laughs> Tiggy P3 is the uh, superpower king of Assyria, the dominant world power at the time. And he is moving to take over more and more land. And he's going to attack Israel, and he's going to attack Judah, and he's going to attack Damascus. So three little kings kind of start to try to pair up. Pekah, who is of Israel. Rezin, who's of Damascus. These two kings talk with Ahaz, who's in Judah. And they say, Ahaz, come join us and we'll fight and form kind of a wall against Assyria. Well, Ahaz is playing all these political cards every which way, trying to figure out what's best for him. And as this Judean king, he says, no, I'm not going to join you two little kings. Well, this infuriates them. And so they're like, well, we're going to move and we're going to invade you. And they start to try to invade him. So Ahaz is in a real fix. He has now got the big power coming after him and his two neighboring kings. Well, it's not the ideal circumstance. And that's where Isaiah comes. Because Isaiah tells Ahaz, look, you're okay. God's with you. Fear God. In fact, ask for a sign from God, and God's going to take care of you, Ahaz. And Ahaz does not do that. 
He does something that's unnecessary. It doesn't even make sense. He reaches out to the powerful king, Tikipi III, and says, hey, would you help me? He makes an ally with this world power. And indeed, that king helps him out. But it comes at a cost. From that point on, King Ahaz has to send tribute. He has to send money. And it comes from the temple treasury, money that had been given to Yahweh God, and it goes up to Assyria. And the whole time, for the rest of that time, Judah is like this subservient vassal to the great power of Assyria. And Ahaz has made everybody mad, and he's under the thumb of king of Assyria. It's not an exactly great time to come. In fact, even have to pay another king out of your temple treasury and have to even erect idols to the Assyrian gods in Judah. That's what Ahaz has to do. And so it doesn't surprise us to hear all of that mess going on that God's frustrated with his people. He's angry with his people. And he begins to undermine them and predict, predict their collapse and their, their corruption coming to roost with them. And on that day, everything is not so good. In chapter 11, they begin to think about what might come. What might come after all of this judgment? Because we know what it's like as people today to have done things that might make God angry. And yet in this song, in the midst of all of this going on, we get this beautiful song of joy that anticipates a future that is not the current reality. And they begin to live into that future of when God will turn from his anger, turn from his wrath. I wanted you to get the picture of this because this is not some victory song sung, sung by victors. This is more like the song of slaves who are sung, who sing in the midst of slavery, who haven't yet seen the redemption that's coming from God. It predicts and lives into the future. It's choosing intentionally to give praise to God. And that is the psalm that we're looking at today. A song of joy in the middle of suffering. A song of joy in the midst of disaster. A song where they draw upon the strength of God when it is not easy to draw on that strength. And the song is something of a remix. It's a cover. It's not brand new. Isaiah is kind of unique that in the midst of all these prophecies, he drops down a song, letting us know that this was used in worship. And it's a tapestry of psalms, but one of the ones that they pick is probably from a story that you know. The verse that Dominic read to us today from Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2, is a great one. And it's the one that they key in on. And it comes from the story that you'll probably recall in Exodus chapter 15, where God's people were trapped up against the Red Sea with the Egyptians bearing down on them. And God walks them through on dry ground. After they get through, after they accomplish this victory by just looking at what God does, they sing this song. Let me let you hear it again. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my might. The Lord God has become my salvation. This little song communicates so much. I think sometimes we think that the people of God back in this time were lugging around Bibles. They didn't have Bibles. 
But I can see them capturing this little psalm, this verse that's in Exodus 15, 2, and here in Isaiah 12, 2, and memorizing it and holding on to it. A song that begins in salvation and ends in salvation and talks about all the strength and the might that God provides. Taking the focus off of kings and off of politics and off of all that's going on in the world around us and putting it on the Lord our God. That's the focus. Bringing to, to bear a song from the past into this present moment when it's not even as joyful as when it was first sung. When I hear the word salvation, though, I, I kind of hear more of a religious word. I don't know about you. Something that's holy. And I think about our own lives, and we, we experience salvation or deliverance or rescue. But a lot of times we attribute it to coming from different locations, right? That I'm saved by, well, technology, because it makes my life easier. I'm able to get on my phone or get on my computer, connect to the internet, and speed things up. Or maybe we feel saved because we've lost something or it's been damaged and we've got an insurance policy. And so we're saved. Hey, we're able to get the money that we need to replace what was lost. And we give credit to that insurance. Or maybe we're in a disagreement. I know you would never have these during the holiday season with your family, but you get into a disagreement and you're saved by Google that allows you to get the answer. And you're able to have Google come to your defense and say, hey, this is the information you need to prove that you are right. You saved me. I'm right. Well, what I'm talking about is a different kind of salvation. We may still use Google. We may still have that insurance policy, but we're not putting the saving to credit to the insurance policy. We, as people of God, and this might seem very subtle, are giving credit fully and wholly to God. That's an intentional move. That's where people of faith stand with God. And not with their opinions in this world, but with God and trusting God, even when their circumstances say you shouldn't even bother because the debt is not yet paid. We can't fully understand and can't make sense of what's going on in our lives. Even when that confusion remains, our focus and our attention is on God. Well, that's not really our, our typical response, is it? To give credit to God. A lot of times our typical response whenever we're confronted or whenever we're facing a difficult time is to get angry, get upset. Maybe to push back and to begin to blame, well, it's not my fault, it's somebody else's fault. Or maybe not to get emotional in the sense of breaking down, but emotional in the sense of, well, I'm going to set things right. I'm going to prove that you are wrong. And so we fight back. Our fight and flight instincts kick in, and we're ready to bow up and straighten this out all on our own. That's our normal response whenever we're confronted or whenever things don't go our way. The proper response, as we see in Isaiah 12, is a response of worship, of calling upon God as the strength, of giving full-throated, full-throttle worship to God, even when we're still in the debt, even when we still have that disability or that limitation. We know that we can focus in on what God has done, of turning from his anger, because we've seen it. We've seen the kind of God God is through Jesus, that Jesus wants to live among us, 
to even die at our own hands and be resurrected. That kind of life that we see in Jesus communicates the kind of life that we're to have. A kind of worship that is certainly on a Sunday morning like this, and even like when we're alone on a Tuesday night late worshiping, it's a worship that spills over into the streets of our lives. It affects everything that we do, our wallets, our cars, how we view difficult circumstances. Out from our heart flows this kind of worship, a worship that I want to characterize for us as speak, sing, and shout. Speaking and singing and shouting are, are how this song ends for me, and I think gives us some ways that we can act in the world today. If you look in verse, five, verse 4, speak is about proclaiming the mighty acts of God. Use your voice. Vocalize what God has done in your life. Proclaim it to the nations. Singing shows up in verse 5, the very next verse. Sing out, sing praise for God's actions. Declare his mighty works. And then in verse 6, we get the last one, which is shout. You've got to be careful how you do this, how close you are to someone when you begin to shout. But we shout at games. We shout and get excited and throw things at the television set. But how often do we get excited about who Jesus is and what God has done in our lives? In this season, the season of Advent, of Jesus arriving in our lives, this is our chance to let the Holy One of God come among us, which is how verse 6 ends. How do we let God live among us as we speak and sing and shout? Instead of just looking at our circumstances and saying, poor me, everyone's up against me, I'm all alone. That's not how the people of God function. We are people of joy. And if people don't see that joy, they will not see the God that we worship and love. So we have one task and three ways to do it. One intention that we should do and three ways to carry it out. And the first one is to speak. I'm really calling on you to speak up. There's probably a call that you've been needing to make that you haven't made. Maybe a card that you need to write. You say, well, I, di I didn't get a card. I didn't get a Christmas card. Well, okay. Why don't you think about that person in your life who probably won't get a card, and send them a card. Let them know about how you see God at work in their lives. Speak up. Tell a stranger about the good things that God is doing in your life. I mean, we're going to be in lines with lots of strangers, just like we are all year round. Most of them you're never going to see again. So what's the harm in saying, what are you going to do for Christmas? Now, they might think you're a weirdo, because who at Target really cares about someone's life, but you're just making talk while you wait for the self-checkout lane. And maybe they'll tell you what they're going to do for Christmas. Maybe you even make a friend. Maybe you find out that they're actually someone that's alone for Christmas, and maybe that opens up a door for you in a different way. Sing. Well, this might be more comfortable in the target line, but there are lots of songs that are on the radio. They are out there. These are songs that they go deep to point us to the arrival of Jesus in the world. And it's on all the airwaves, all the stations. I don't care what kind of music you listen to. They're going to be Christmas songs that give witness to this and testify to the presence of God. I mean, is it too much for us to think about 
The Christians at First ABQ being the most joy-filled this holiday season. I mean, it's all too easy for us to just be focused on what's going on in the world, how things are, are not going well, and to join in on the downplay, the grinchiness of life in our world today. Am I right? I mean, can't we join in and complain and share our opinions of how the world is falling apart? Folks, as people of faith, that's not where we're at. That's really not our identity. Our identity as people of joy. And if we are not going to act as people of joy, who's going to see it? If we won't speak up or sing out about it, maybe that's softly singing a carol. Who is going to hear or who is going to care? Now, I told you that you've got to be careful about shouting. Again, please don't use this in the target line. Praise Jesus! Jesus has come! Well, I mean, be aware. But maybe shouting it out is making it more verbal and more vocal. You could ask someone, well, it looks like you're buying some gifts. Well, yes, I am buying gifts. I've got an Xbox for little Jimmy and a PlayStation 5 for my husband. It's a little out of balance there. But anyway, well, that's nice. It sounds like God has really blessed your life to be able to do that. You see that? It's just very subtle. Even if you want to just say God has, that, you, that your life has been blessed, that's going to open up the door for them to think about their lives in a thankful spirit. God has been good to you. People are going to ask you what you're asking for for Christmas or what you got for Christmas. And perhaps something like this, I've already received many great gifts, but the best present of all is the arrival of Jesus because that's what dictates and guides my life. Very subtle, not overpowering, not preaching a sermon, just being a person of joy because we're someone that remembers what Isaiah 12, 2 says, that God is our salvation, that God is our strength, God is our might, and he is becoming our salvation. Pointing to this rescue from God, pointing to God being the one that provides the energy in our lives, is something that will draw buckets of water to nourish our soul. That change of perspective and how we speak and talk will change those around us, if even for a moment, to make them look beyond themselves, past the long line, past the credit card debt, and look to what really matters in this world. Because it really is on us to be the people who share this, to the, be the people who live into this joy, to not be the Grinches of the Christians who are only out to point out everything that's wrong or bad, but to be the people that are known by their joy because we are ones, the ones that know who Jesus is. Let's pray. God, you are a good God. And we are thankful with our hearts overflowing with joy. God, forgive us when we look at our circumstances, when we look at our world and we just see destruction and death, and turmoil and trials. Forgive us, because we're not looking to you, a God who's turned away from the anger that you should rightfully have for us, who's turned in compassion and has approached us. Help our hearts to overflow with joy. 
for us to be dominated and guided, having a lighter spirit because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We thank you for Jesus who shows us what this life is like, a life that while he traveled the path of death willingly at our hands, his life was raised again, a life that we can enjoy forevermore. So we pray that you will bless us through this one Jesus who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit as one God now and forever. Amen.